Hello, everyone, and welcome to CSID's Firewall Chats podcast. I am your host, Cody Gradler with CSID, and joining me is my co-host and colleague, Morgan Grevy. Hi, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by CSID. If you or someone you know has identity theft protection or has been a victim of a breach and received similar services, there's a good chance we help power that product. CSID is the leading provider of global identity protection and fraud detection technologies for businesses, their employees, and consumers. So throughout the season of our Firewall Chats podcast series, we've spent some time talking with a bunch of key thinkers and industry leaders about their unique experiences and insights. And this is actually the last episode of our pilot series. Cody, I can't believe how quickly this season flew by. It's true. It's really true. Anyway, we hope you've enjoyed the series and you've learned a little bit more about the cybersecurity issues that are putting our identities and personal data at risk. We always welcome your feedback about the content we shared and what you'd like to hear more of next season. So find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Firewall Chats. And on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash firewallchats. Hit us up, let us know what you think, uh, if you have any questions or comments, and tell us what you'd like to hear more about in season two. So we've got a great guest lined up today, Adam Dolby, VP of Business Development at NCAP Security. Adam has previously worked in banking, ATM networks, and card processing, and has expertise in multi-factor authentication and financial services. So today, we're going to be talking with Adam about how hackers can take advantage of our comfort zones and blind spots to attack companies and individuals with phishing attacks. We're also going to explore two-factor authentication and tips to combat these sneaky attacks. So thanks for being with us today, Adam. Tell us more about yourself and what you do. Oh, fantastic. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, the vice president of business development for uh, a company that focuses on multi-factor authentication called NCAP Security. Uh, NCAP makes a solution that sort of ties together the use of your mobile phone to make sure that uh, the phishing attacks and malware attacks that we'll talk about uh, really are not possible anymore. I've been in the space for about 12 years or so, which is a whole long time uh, in the authentication and security space, uh, and have worked from very small deployments up to the largest multi-factor authentication deployments in the world for the largest banks in the world. So I have a pretty interesting perspective usually on what it takes to get this adopted by customers and more importantly what makes it usable and doesn't break solutions in the process. That's awesome. And you know, I think it, it might be helpful for our audience to sort of quickly start by discussing the terms malware and phishing. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the latest malware and phishing scams you've been seeing that have been impacting businesses and consumers right now? Yeah, I think I'll start with the more basic one. I think phishing is, I'm a bit dismayed that it's still such an issue. Um, so phishing essentially is what it sounds like. Uh, bad guys will cast a fairly wide net. The wider the net, the better for them. Uh, and they see uh, who ends up in it at the end, whether emails have to, uh, it is conducted by email, so they'll send a, an email that appears legitimate, it is fake, uh, it might most most often it's from a financial institution or your social media provider. Um, although they're they've become very very good and very very targeted, um, so that you'll see very specific ones. The latest one I saw was actually centered around 
uh, online Microsoft Office credentials where they were targeting a specific company, which was pretty interesting. Uh, but they'll cast a very wide net, hope that some of those emails make it through spam filters, and a number of them do, uh, roughly 10%. Um, of those, you see almost half are actually open. So they have a very good success rate once uh, an email makes it to your inbox. Uh, and of those, roughly 10% have links that are clicked on, uh, and and 10% of those people end up falling for the scam. Uh, so those sound like odds that are actually in the favor of people uh, and, and the industry, but the fact of the matter is there's about 156 million phishing emails that go out every day, and when you go through the, the filters, when you get the, the percentage of people that actually open an email, that actually click on a link and actually fall for the scam, that results in about 80,000 people a day. Uh, which is still wow. pretty darn good work uh, when you think about it. So uh, it shows while I think the online community has come a ways, the fact that you can still trick 80,000 people a day, uh, a day, right, into giving away their credentials means we've got a really long way to go, and it is still incredibly uh, profitable and very, very low barrier to entry. So you do not need to be cyber criminal, super freak guy Same. to pull off a phishing email. Uh, all you need to do is copy and paste a legitimate email, uh, and, and in essence, you're up and running. It's very, very simple to execute. Uh, malware is a, a totally separate animal, um, very, very big business, very much technical, and in fact, Malware to me is is the real threat. Phishing you could you can make it so that it is you know relatively impossible to pull off just by deploying some very basic additional authentication techniques uh, like an SMS passcode that'll get sent to you. Malware walks through an SMS passcode, so even companies that think they've put in place enough security with something along those lines, malware deals with it uh, very, very, very handily, uh, I would say. Um, and it is a true technology-based attack. Uh, there's a, a bunch of different variants out there. And to give you an idea of how that scales, so malware is, a, you know, in essence, a form of, of computer program or something that goes in your browser that's going, that is designed specifically to steal your login credentials and, and replay them. In Q4 of... 2014, so last year, there were 255,000 new malware variants every single day. 255,000. Wow. So more than a million and a half a week, right? So very, very big business, obviously a a very large threat, and, and you see, you know, Companies like like yourselves are in business to try to protect user credentials as a result because it's it's incredibly effective. Uh, so a lot of the folks that have put in place even multi-factor authentication that are not looking forward to figure out how to deal with these more advanced threats are you know we still see customers today even uh, folks that I've talked to that will put in place solutions that are already able to be compromised in the field and you're just you're losing the battle from the get go. Who are behind these cyber attacks? It depends on who you ask. Uh, so some of the more sophisticated attacks are very much organized crime. So there are 
you know, the the um, the perspective that this used to be some guy in his mom's basement uh, just crushing Mountain Dew and Red Bull all day uh, that's attacking your your financial institution or really just, uh, uh, you know, looking to go after someone specific because they've wronged him. Those days are long gone. Uh, now it's very much organized crime, often state-sponsored as well. So we see, uh, you know, very well-publicized, larger-scale breaches like the Office of Personnel Management, which is believed to be from uh, nation-states, uh, and, and we've seen others uh, as well. So there's a, there are, are very sophisticated elements at work. Uh, like I said, gone are the days of the guy in his mom's basement. Now this is you know closer to the Sopranos uh, 2.0, I guess I would say. Well, now that you've terrified us, <laughs> what advice can you offer to protect ourselves? Your question actually is an interesting one because in a lot of ways, I don't think people have realized that it is up to you to protect your identity. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in solutions that are, that are able to be personally managed. Um, so if I can take some control and monitor you know, whether it's my credit or, or monitor what's happening with my sort of online identity or identities, to think that you only have one is a, a bit silly. Um, I, th- I think you have to uh, have good awareness on that side. I think the other, quite frankly, is consumers have to start pushing application providers to deliver additional security. So most banks that I talk to today still think customers are not interested in additional security. Um, My personal uh, experience is, generally speaking, that's correct to a point. Uh, I think if you ask the correct question correctly, you can always get the answer that you're looking for, right? So if I'm looking to not do anything, I would say, hey, would you do something that requires you to do 19 different steps just to log into your (laughs) bank account? And most customers would say no. However, if you if you position it correctly and 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 understand or 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 raise an awareness out to the customer that that helps with their understanding of what threats are out there, right? Just the very very basic. I, I come back to those amazing phishing statistics. Eighty thousand people a day fall for that, right? Mm-hmm. There's a very high likelihood that you will fall for it. Even someone like myself that works in the space, there's no guarantee that I won't fall for it. Now I'm I'm very very cautious of what I give out online, um, probably overly so. But I know for a fact that you know any number of my relatives will would be happy to give out that information. Um, so I, I think it's very very important for folks to be aware of the threats that are out there, how realistic they are. Um, I think the other part that I uh, think has not been talked about well enough is the actual cost of this, right? So financial institutions sure. in particular do a very good job of sort of misdirecting that, uh, well, if you lose money, we'll reimburse you. And to a degree, that's true, but there's also a reason why you're paying now, what, 450 or $5 uh, for a foreign ATM transaction and 35 something for an overdraft. And that's because you're paying for it one way or the other. It's just hidden. Right? So it's either built up into the cost of consumer goods or into service charges that you pay or ridiculously low interest rates that you earn. The cost is being passed on. It's just being fairly well hidden. And, and one of the challenges that we have is 
the all these you know billions of dollars have been sort of baked into the equation and it gets absorbed and no one sort of recognizes that piece and consumers have to get to a point where it's look I'm going to start banking with or or buying from those people that actually care enough to protect my identity and if you see a you know a, a T-Mobile size data breach or or you know I call them breach of the day now where <laughs> you have these large scale you know insurance companies retailers financial institutions just hemorrhaging data you have to get to a point where you're you're sort of voting with your wallet a bit there, and and I think all of those things combined will probably force people to do things, but the the fact of the matter is most things will not change unless those people are forced to do things. So I think it has to start from a consumer awareness level, and and you know it has to start with people that are that are fairly savvy about it and say, look, I'm. I'm just going to avoid these services altogether. I'm going to go where they're more more secure. And, you know, those businesses that consumers are looking to to help them, to help facilitate that protection, how can they sort of minimize their risk and their employees' risk? That's a, a very challenging one, although in a way it's a bit easier to deal with, right? Because you, it's one thing to ask a consumer to accept a security solution. It's very different with an employee. You can say, hey, you, you're going to do this or you're going to find a different job, right? So... I think you can be much more dictatorial around that the, the employee base. What is very much a challenge, though, is you see a very different level of sophistication of attack at businesses because it's a much larger payout. Right? So uh, Office of Personnel Management or, or when uh, Jamalto lost the encryption keys to their SIM cards, for example, right? those are very, very sophisticated, targeted attacks because there's a just gigantic payout if you're the one that figures it out. And the more data you have, the more information you have, the more valuable target you are. And businesses really need to think in that regard, right? That my most valuable asset to a black hat guy is that customer data and all that, you know, PII, personal identifiable information that sits behind or hopefully behind uh, your, your, your solutions. Um, I think what they have to do is have tremendous awareness of of um, the threats that are out there. They have to educate their employees proactively. Um, I firmly believe engaging with identity protection providers in advance of of any major event is essential, so that you're uh, sort of being prepared for the the when, not the if. I think you know a determined hacker is proving. They can get through pretty much any scenario. I think it was a, a quote I saw uh, early in the year from the folks at FireEye, and I think it was, I don't remember if it was after Anthem or Home Depot or one of the very large breaches, but regardless, it was, hey, uh, cybersecurity spend is expected to double uh, in the next year, and the attackers will get through. So, so with all that money that's being spent and now double the money being spent, People will still find a way to get through, which means you have to be prepared for the when, not the if. Um, I also think you could you could be a bit more judicious about what information you actually keep as a business. I don't know that the you know keeping uh, long-term records of passport and social security number, date of birth that are very very valuable are needed. Um, and certainly you have to have good cybersecurity policies internally. Don't 
you know, make hard coding mistakes like an Ashley Madison did. And the other is I think you have to have a very, very clear communications policy. So a lot of the threats that exist today, especially phishing, would be mitigated if you had a, a very clear uh, communications policy so that both your employees and your customers would know exactly what to expect in terms of communication, right? Phishing only works because customers see something from the bank and then they see something tomorrow and then they see something the day after and all three of those things are different and they ask you to do different things or click on links or, or other things. Um, you shouldn't be doing that anymore, right? It should be, hey, we have a secure portal for you to go to. Go log in. It should just be, hey, we have something to tell you. Go get it and allow the customer to go get that information rather than, you know, confusing them with all these different ways that we communicate with them. And the same for employees, right? They're, they're people too, although some folks don't admit it right away. But um, <laughs> I think having those, those policies in place will mitigate what damage can be done over time. Yeah, and talking more about sort of policies for employees, you know, we, we often mention the fact that sometimes the employee can be the weakest link in the business's sort of security. And um, a result, the reason for that sometimes can just be sort of poor pa- password practices. Um, what do you think about that? And what do you recommend when it comes to passwords and security questions? Do you think that passwords are outdated? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, I work for a multi-factor authentication company. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a hard sell on that side. Uh, I have a paycheck that says otherwise. <laughs> so, passwords are dead. I would put security, I would, if I had my way, I would put security questions in the same grave. So, the, the problems I have with both of those components is that it's static information, right? So, when, when you have the, the weakness of... The password is that it's unchanging by and large, even though they may make you change it once in a while, right? And you don't know if it's been stolen. So if I all of a sudden, you know, crack uh, Cody's, you know, password is the name of her dog plus her anniversary date, then I am, uh, I, I have access to her account wherever that is. And the, the, probably the, the, the more damaging piece of that is, so much of that information is available now in what would be called the public domain, right? So I know if I'm going to find out information about you, and I'll give you an example. We were working with a bank that wanted to come up with a more complex password that was going to be the combination of the zip code you live in plus the year you graduated high school. And in roughly 15 seconds, and I am not a hacker by any stretch of the imagination, I just grabbed that information off of her LinkedIn profile. Right. So when you when you when you list where you live and and sure. all that background or information and I'm oh by the way you probably also have identified your mother and so I can figure out your mother's maiden name uh there is a whole lot of stuff I can use to to crack not just your password but also your security questions as as they're out there. It is all that static information is incredibly vulnerable and worse a breach like Ashley Madison, all of those static passwords end up in these huge databases that hackers use to try to crack your password. So now there's a hundred million more potential password combinations, and, and instead of trying to guess your password, which is not what happens anymore, they just run it through these gigantic databases of valid passwords, and eventually they will crack them. Um, so, so you end up with 
you know, the more these data breaches occur and the more weakness there still is with passwords and security questions and all that, you know, junk that's out there, it's it's a matter of time before it's compromised. And, and then you couple that with the fact that your password, and I'm guilty of this as well, because you have so many to remember, it's probably either the same or a version of the same exact password at 15, 20 different websites. Sure. <laughs> when it's broken in one spot, it's broken everywhere. So I don't necessarily have to try to figure out what your banking password is. I can just take a whack at your Walmart password because Walmart uh, allows unlimited checking, I think, or did at one point, of your password in your email You could, or in your mobile app. You could enter it wrong as many times as you want and still be logged in. It was a weakness that was talked about in some article I read. And there was a, a number of those. Well, I'll just keep trying it on a site like that, and then chances are I've probably got that same login for your Facebook or your LinkedIn or your bank or whatever else. So tell us more sort of about what you do. Tell us about two-factor authentication. They're you know, largely considered three factors of authentication. It's something you know, which would be a password. It's something you have, which would be either a device or sometimes it's been a USB fob or maybe your phone uh, and then something you are, which would be a biometric, so your fingerprint or your retina or uh, something along those lines. Um, what my company does is we make the phone uh, a second element in there or, or a smart device. I shouldn't say phone because it can be any smart device. It doesn't have to have a SIM card. So where that becomes much more challenging from an attack standpoint, right, you have to sort of think of these things from the hacker perspective is, now I not only have to figure out what your password is, which is relatively easy, uh, I now have to figure out a way to remote control or get you to give away the second part of your login step. So with NCAP's authentication solution, what you do is, let's say you were going to uh, work with, uh, I don't know, a financial institution. And when you type in your user ID and password, you would also get an alert on your phone in your mobile banking app that would say, hey, just key in your PIN or do you want to also, you know, confirming that you want to connect. And what that means is if an attacker was trying to log in, they would have to somehow trick you into thinking that you actually do want to log in to uh, online banking, which is fairly difficult to do. And frankly, they move on to other targets when, when that happens. And we have a number of layers on top of it because just verifying that it's you really isn't enough, uh, especially in banking. They're not trying to figure out your credential. They don't want to just log in as you, right? They, you rob banks because that's where the money is. And what you really want to do is get to a level where I can say, hey, Morgan, this are you sure you want to move this amount of money to Cody at this time? And sure. now you've made it really sort of bulletproof that, hey, wait a minute, I'm not trying to move money to you know, Uzbekistan or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, I was trying to pay my electric bill. And, and those, once you get to that level, you've essentially made it impossible for someone to compromise your account. It's not you know, fully impossible, but there's a whole lot of other attacks at much, much, much weaker targets where, uh, you know, the, the analogy of you don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. Uh, so as companies step up their authentication, the, the attackers move on to easier targets. They're not going to keep trying to break the same one. Now, I use two-factor authentication for my banking accounts and as well as my Gmail account. Would you say consumers are using two-factor authentication more 
or are businesses using it more? I think businesses have historically used it more, so they've protected access to uh, networks, although uh, as more and more things have migrated off-premise, like uh, cloud-based solutions, you look at a Salesforce or or um, any of the cloud storage things, more and more data uh, and, and, you know, things you do not want in the public domain are available uh, in ways that are not protected, right? So, for example, you might have one where uh, you log in to your VPN to do anything with your uh, company, uh, but you can just as easily store things in Dropbox or, um, or you know, any other uh, iCloud or anything like that. And that now becomes that point of weakness, right? So unless everything has that strong second factor, you, you know, they're going to find and exploit the weakest link. I think consumers are getting there. I think it's more, it's interesting, right? Because when, when um, I was involved in, in banking when the Internet first launched, so, so um, I'm dating myself a little bit, or at least when <laughs> online banking first launched, but... Um, we the the challenge was educating customers that all of your data was not you know your banking information was not just floating around in cyberspace right now the but that was someone who didn't understand how the internet worked now today you're actually trying to calm down people who do understand how the internet <laughs> works right and those are the people that think holy cow you don't do anything to protect my stuff right you know, the, the a great example that the, the one of the banks uh, I've I've done some work with um, throughout my career, they their call center staff was actually educating customers. Back to your question about st- security questions, they were educating their call center people to tell customers to answer all of the security questions the same, so they didn't forget the answers. Right. So what color what color car did you first drive? Blue. What's your favorite food? Blue. <laughs> right, and 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 you're now you've got a you know a group of people that again for convenience sake they're they're sort of figuring their way around it. So I, I think awareness is growing. I think where the service is available, people do use it. Although I would say a lot of the solutions, uh, if you use it for your Gmail, for example, it's a fairly kludgy experience. Um, it's good to use it. I think the the usability of it has to improve for more people to use it. It's not not convenient enough when you're you know, sort of changing mediums and you're asking a user to receive something and then copy it into their web mm-hmm. browser or, or transmit it or so. I think those are those are sort of looming challenges for the space. It's actually the reason we exist is because we don't require any of those hoops for the customer to go through. Right now, that's something I'd like to touch on. Um, this security versus convenience discussion. You know, people claim they want their information secure, but they also want everything available at the touch of a button. Now, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, I think that is the epitome of having your cake and eating it too. Uh, <laughs> I think I think you can get close. I, I think you can get close, right? I think the so I'm a believer in intelligent authentication, right? So so if you're for example, if you're logging in, I'll, I'll run you through a hypothetical scenario. If you're logging into your bank account, 
there is almost no risk associated with that because no one can do anything, right? So why do I need additional security there at all? I might be able to capture some information about you in the background while you're logging in, and you know, you, I know your IP address is now from Austin, and that uh, you know you're you're logging in from maybe a computer I recognize. Who cares? Uh, and okay, I, I but you're just logging in, right? So there's you're not doing anything yet. So that's very low risk. Whereas if you're now going to move money, there's higher risk. But you might just be paying your electric bill or your cable bill or whatever, right? So that's if it's the same payee you've paid 35 times before and it's the same dollar amount you've always done, pretty low risk. And that can be done with very minimal security around it, right? Um, maybe I might ask you out of band and say, hey, do you want this to happen? Yes or no. Um, but I don't necessarily have to. But if now you're doing something simple like changing your password, and the way banks verify that today is that silly email that goes and sits in your inbox that zero people actually read, uh, <laughs> that's a very high-risk activity, which we don't do anything around because it's an indication that someone may have taken over your account. It may just be you changing your password, which is fine, but it may also be me changing your password so that you can't get in and I can do whatever I want forever after. And instead of just sending that lame email that goes into the inbox or the spam filter forever, I could interact with you using a mobile device and say, hey, are you sure? Yes or no, right? Pretty simple, very fast, takes two additional seconds. Or if it's setting up a new payee and sending a significant percentage of your balance, that's a very high-risk activity. I want to create friction there, right? So if you layer it, layer things intelligently, right, you can create what I would call the appropriate amount of friction for the end user in a manner that they would appreciate it, right? And instead, where we've gotten pushback and where, where people sort of go back to all the time is, I'll give you another banking example, right? So on Memorial Day, at uh, about 5 o'clock in the evening, I received a phone call that said I needed to contact the fraud department of my bank, because my uh, something was suspect on my account. And that call would have been spectacularly helpful if I had been home. It did not go to my mobile device, which they have. It went to my house, and I was gone for the long weekend. And when I went to go put gas in my car to come back from the long weekend, my debit card was shut off. And when oh. I go, went to go make purchases, uh, my debit card was shut off. So I come home and finally contact the fraud department because there's now 12 messages on my machine to contact them. <laughs> and they said, well, geez, uh, we, sh we shut off your card because it was attempting to be used at like a Piggly Wiggly or something in Tennessee. The problem is that went from an interaction that was designed to help me to one that was a colossal pain in my neck. <laughs> Because all of those transactions that I tried to do, each and every time you go through the experience of the waitress coming back and saying, sorry, this didn't work. Do you have a different one? Or should I just lock the door and get the dish towel ready for you? Right? <laughs> and, and if you create the inappropriate amount of friction, right, there are tools that are available, and they're available at very little cost. You know, ours is an example where they very easily could have just shoved something to my phone using the mobile banking app that I have that said, hey, Adam, are you trying to use your card at a Piggly Wiggly? And if I had said no, they could have said, you know what, we're going to now trigger a response to every card transaction that comes through until we get you a new one. And that would yeah. have been 
perceived as a huge benefit to me. Okay, I'm protected. I expect that level of friction. Thank you for taking care of me. And instead, what it was is we shut your card off. You can't get a new one. You've got to call us when you get home. You've got to go into a branch now to go apply for a new card. So I've got to jump through all these hurdles, and this thing that was designed to protect me was a huge pain in the neck. And that's where if you, you know, security... Security deployed poorly is almost worse than none <laughs> because now you get this huge pushback from the users say, forget it, you guys screwed up so bad last time, I don't want anything to do with what you're going to try next. Sure. And that's, I, so, so I, I think we have to get to that level where there, there is no magic bullet that's going to just address all of these correctly, but the one thing that will make it much better adopted much more widely accepted is if you do it in a manner where you're creating the appropriate amount of friction and interaction for customers where they'll, A, they know to expect it, and B, will appreciate that it occurred, especially when, you know, something abnormal was trying to be done on their account. And it actually helps them. Yeah, you think? Wouldn't that <laughs> well, Adam, before we wrap up, thank you so much for the great conversation today. Any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I, you know, I, I, think, I think one piece that gets missed often, um, which, I, which I find interesting, right? So when people talk about malware and um, they talk about phishing um, and they talk about using a device for verifying a user or so, there is there's sort of this looming uh, challenge out there. The amount of malware that's now moving to the mobile channel where for some reason we've forgotten the lessons of the PC of the past people have to take in consideration that it's not that your vulnerability is not just with your computer or your laptop or whatever it, it, it extends everywhere and the, they will folks will find a way to, to, to get at those funds and find value from it right not just because everything is moving to mobile doesn't mean all these guys that were doing bad stuff are going to quit and become math teachers. They're, they're very <laughs> much going to keep it up. They're going to evolve. Um, and the other thing that we've seen is the malware has become so prevalent that it's a business model, right? So I think this past year we saw the first malware as a service uh, solutions being offered in the space. So for 500 bucks, you can you don't even have to figure out how to host malware or code it. You can buy malware, and you know it's the equivalent of the Amazon cloud of malware. Wow, uh, which is just amazing when you stop and think about how profitable that is, right? And then technically speaking, the guy writing the malware isn't even committing a crime; he's just making software. <laughs> so that's that's a that's it. I won't say perfectly legitimate, but you know this. This is, this is someone building software and delivering this as a service. And there are so many weak targets out there that, you know, you can go out for a few hundred bucks, probably make a million or so. Yeah. Um, if they had the common sense to just stop at that point, they could live pretty well, but most of them keep going. And I recently read uh, Verizon's Data Breach Investigations report, and they had a funny header that read, I got 99 problems, but mobile malware isn't even 1% of them. <laughs> now it sounds like <laughs> what you're saying contradicts that statement a bit. Uh, you know, I think, I think in the grand scheme of things, I would say uh, that, that's probably accurate. Like, you've got a bunch of things to worry about. 
However, you know, Verizon certainly has a vested interest in keeping people uh, adopting mobile, I would say. And I, I, I think that is absolutely the future. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, we should go back to abacus everywhere. But, um, although they had very low malware instances. But, but what, what, I, what I think is important, and especially with, with, as it relates to Android, and, and with a number of the solutions that you see out there deployed as what I would call quote unquote security, right? So the SMS code example that I made, that I, I listed before, think about the way that actually works, right? It's, it's, you receive, you're trying to do something on your browser, something, and you receive a code that you type generally back into your web browser, but you receive that code to your phone, there's nothing that says that is from the company other than here's your code from the company, right? It's just some random number for the the heading that it comes from, or maybe it's fairly consistent, who knows. But you're actually taking that code and putting it back in the same infrastructure that may be compromised, but people trust it because it's on their phone, right? When my mom calls, it's always my mom. It's not like it shows up as grandma and it's mom. And, and that's, there is this, for some reason, this completely unjustified trust in that platform. And if you're not careful, you're going to have the worst case scenarios. You'll deploy your security in that space and it will be compromised. And that's a tough one to walk back because now customers won't trust anything. Right. And, and when, you know, one of the things that, that NCAP does particularly well is we keep, it doesn't matter if it's deployed on malware. In fact, we've, we've accounted for the eventuality that it will be attacked on malware and can stop it from happening. Uh, and that's where I, I really think the, the rush, you know, there's a, I'm a big studier of the Internet of Things and all that other stuff. And, and before you put something online, you should try to figure out whether or not you should, I guess, not just whether or not you can use it, right? And, mm-hmm. sure. and that's a, a big difference for me, uh, especially as it relates to the mobile channel. Well, really great insights that you've shared with us today, Adam. And again, we really appreciate your time. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening to Firewall Chats this season. Our next series will debut next year. And don't forget, you can go back and check out our past episodes on csad.com slash firewallchats or on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, if you have questions or comments or want to request something for next season, Hit us up on at Firewall Chats on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Firewall Chats and let us know what you think. See you next time.